Our scripturing today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 7. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move the mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patience, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today's sermon is going to be a little different. I need to warn you. We have a guest speaker, Nate Odie, who's actually speaking to us from Cambridge in England. Of all places. Yeah, it sounds, woo, yeah. So it's not just that Zooming Nate in is different. He's actually not a pastor, not in ministry. Nate is a, an associate in the Harvard Department of Philosophy and a lead instructor for the educational nonprofit Thinker Analytics. Nate creates in-person online learning experiences to train teachers and students in the skills of logical reasoning and intellectual charity. He also conducts workshops on controversial ethical and social issues and previously co-founded a website that aggregates the top arguments on both sides of an issue in the news. Impressive, right? But why on earth is he giving a sermon today? Good question. So I met Nate last year when he married into our fa uh, the family of some really dear family friends of ours. And Zach, my son, is actually an intern at Thinker Analytics. And I got to see more and more of what they were doing with teaching people to learn how to engage in hard discussions and work through how you argue. And I thought, you know, something, this would be great for our church. You know, and... Um, because I've said many times, and I'm convinced, if you can't have conversations about difficult and controversial subjects in church, can you please tell me where in our culture we can ever possibly have them? This should be the one place you can have them. You know, church should always be a place where you don't have to be afraid of what you think, where we are accepted and loved apart from your opinions or thoughts or politics. The church should be unique because we see each person, every person, as made in the image of God and thus a value of so much value that Jesus died for them. And we also believe that this world is broken, which means we do not expect perfection from each other, not from ourselves either. We can assume that we are not thinking exactly right at all times. You know, if you think you are thinking exactly right, you didn't, your theology is flawed. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't matter what we think, or we just love everyone. No, it's actually the opposite. You can fight for the truth, and we can have hard conversations uniquely because our relationships should not be at stake. And also because we want to embrace hearing from one another, we want to embrace learning. I'll tell you, even when you don't disagree, when you don't agree with someone else, 
you actually still learn. If nothing else, sharpening your own thinking, it's always beneficial. And so as our culture seems to be getting more and more divided, opportunities to converse with people who think differently seems to be getting less and less. And we are losing, or maybe never had, even the skills to engage with one another to begin with. So I thought, hey, let's have Nate come and talk to us and do a workshop after the church. So it's going to be like a little half hour, 45 minutes, just like a little practical workshop on how to do some of this. It'll be in the music room after. And people on Zoom, you can uh, join as well for that. Now, this is a sermon time, and the sermon will be a little more lecture-like than usual. Um, and I actually work with Nate on this sermon. So, uh, so let me tell you about Nate. Now, people are like, who is he? He loves Jesus, don't worry. He actually has a powerful testimony of how everyone's like, is this guy a believer? Yes, yes, okay. <laughs> powerful testimony, how God got a hold of him. And, uh, and when Nate asked, actually, how, I, how he thought our church would do with a little bit more of an academic approach, I said, I don't think in this place that's going to be a problem. We have kind of a ridiculously educated bunch, for those who don't know. We have way too much education in this place, if anything. Um, I think they'll love it. But let's pray for God to use Nate in this time. Lord, we uh, thank you so much, Father, that uh, it's, your word is true, Lord. And we pray now in spirit and truth, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you give us open hearts to hear from Nate, Lord, that you'd bless him as he shares, anoint what he says, and uh, Lord, give each one of us that little thing, Father. I know there's little corrections we all need, Father. Give us open ears to hear, to learn, to be corrected from you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Without further ado, Nate. Amazing. Thank you, Garrett. Um, I just want to confirm that folks can hear me. Great. Okay. Uh, well, somebody stop me if, if you all can't hear me, but thank you so much for having me in, and it's so great to be with all of you here, and I'm just honored, and um, I, I definitely have a lot of kind of fear and trembling. I've never preached a sermon before. I, I work a lot with educators, and I get to work with teachers and students, but I'm, I'm certainly not a minister of the word, uh, and I'm only like 30 years old, and so uh, really my my whole goal here today is just to present you all with a few kind of skills that uh, I've been privileged to learn to some degree and then teach other people. And uh, we're going to root it and ground it in some scripture, especially 1 Corinthians 13, like we just read. And um, we'll see how we, how we go. So I've got like some slides. We'll kind of keep it moving, maybe a little bit interactive. And, um, you know, hopefully everyone can walk away with something a little bit useful here. So before I hop in, I just wanted to basically, I kind of wish my parents could see this because the, the, the irony you all may not appreciate, but I'm a person who loves to be right. I like to win arguments. Growing up, I was the person who would get in these knockdown, drag out arguments with my parents about anything. If it was like go to bed earlier, if it was uh, turn off that TV show, it's inappropriate. If it was whatever it was, I had to argue and I had to be right. And I always thought that justice was on my side. And, um, you know, I liked arguing so much that I wrote my college essay about how much I like to argue. And so I'm a person who likes to win and I like my opinions. So there's a huge irony here that I'm sort of coming to you like, hey guys, let's learn how to have better conversations without being so sure about how right we are because I'm a person who is just arrogant uh, by nature. Uh, but the Lord's done a lot of work on me hopefully and is still doing work. I've also been humbled a little bit by some experience I've had in my own uh, journey with uh, recovery from drugs and alcohol. And I won't kind of tell you guys the whole story, but you'll see why it's relevant in a little bit. 
that these skills don't really come easily to me. The skills of listening to people that I really disagree with, uh, listening with an open mind doesn't come naturally to me. And so I, I've been really kind of forced to learn some of these skills um, by my own experience, by kind of having my butt kicked by my own self-will and needing to be open to, to, to how other people might be right about things. And I might be wrong and I might not be quite as, uh, you know, I don't have the bucket of all true beliefs. So I'm gonna try to share some slides and um, let's see if this works. Can y'all see my screen? Great, okay. So I am a teacher, so this will feel a little bit more like school, maybe a little bit. Uh, I guess that's not such a terrible thing with this crowd. So I'm just gonna tell you where we're going with everything. I'm gonna introduce some skills. So I'll explain what intellectual charity is and why I think it's a set of skills that can be practiced and improved. And we'll do an example. We'll look at Paul in Athens from Acts 17. I'll talk a, a bit about why it's hard to practice charity, what makes it difficult because of forces in the world and our own flesh. And I'll explain a few personal examples of why it's really difficult for me to practice this skill. Then we'll talk a little bit about why be charitable, right? Because it's hard and I like to win arguments and I don't always want to listen to other people. So why should I do it? And maybe we'll look at 1 Corinthians 13 there. We'll also talk a little bit about the limits of intellectual charity and discerning when to walk away, right? Because we don't always need to give someone the benefit of the doubt. And it's not always a good conversation for us to participate in. And we might have to decide at some point that, you know, we, this isn't a conversation that I should continue to be involved in. And with an invitation to kind of reflect on, on, on how this all fits for us personally. So that's where we're going. So uh, just to kind of, uh, uh, we will get back into the scripture, but I just want to explain to you all a little more clearly what I mean when I say intellectual charity. So there's a set of skills here that can be practiced and improved. Uh, one is just to listen carefully and ask clarifying questions. So what do you mean by that? You know, why, are you saying this or are you saying that? And when you ask for clarification, you want to probe for someone's underlying values. So what's really underneath what they're saying? Do they value freedom or do they value fairness or do they value uh, empathy or human rights or something like that? Uh, you want to notice when a statement could be misconstrued or maybe because it's controversial or vague or overstated. And when something does need to be interpreted charitably, you want to interpret them in the way that makes the most sense in context and is most likely to be true. So we're going to do an example of this just so that you understand what I mean. But you don't want to, if you guys have ever heard of steel manning or straw manning. So a straw man is when I'm disagreeing with someone and I construct a bad version of their argument and then I knock it down and declare victory. This is kind of how like the internet works, right? So when we're practicing intellectual charity, what we want to do is construct a steel man, which is what's the best possible version of this argument that I disagree with? Because it's a lot harder to knock down a steel man, right? especially when you disagree. And this is hard to do. If possible, you wanna check your interpretations with the other person. So if I'm having a conversation like with Garrett and Garrett says something, I'm like, not sure that I agree with him. Before I jump in to say, well, Garrett, I think you're totally wrong about that. What I wanna do is first check is just like, here's what I think you said, is that accurate? And maybe, maybe it is accurate and I still totally disagree with him. But first I just wanna double check, right? To prevent talking past each other. When you disagree, you can note what's good about the argument or something you learned. That's also just a useful skill when you wanna be more persuasive to other people. You point out what's good about what they said or what you agree with. And you wanna to try to avoid attributing mistakes to somebody else. So instead of just uh, accusing someone of having terrible logic, you wanna to try to think about, you know, how's, how's a good person, a smart person possibly believe what this person just said. So to kind of summarize all of that, uh, treat other people's arguments like you want them to treat yours. 
right? It's sort of like the golden rule for arguments. And so I know it's kind of a lot that I'm throwing at you here. So let's just do a couple of examples together. So we wanna practice charitably interpreting claims. So uh, I just picked an example here that, um, let's say you're talking to somebody and they say, I don't want my child to wear a mask. Now, this could be interpreted in more than one way. And depending how you feel about wearing masks, you might be inclined to really disagree or really agree with this kind of statement. But first, we just wanna make sure that we're interpreting it uh, in, a, in a charitable way. So an uncharitable interpretation of this kind of claim could be something like, this person is spreading harmful views. They're, they're probably anti-vax and people like them are the problem. They're like, why we still have COVID. So if you're, if you're inclined to be a really mask oriented person and you're really concerned about COVID safety, if you hear someone say this, you might interpret them uncharitably in this way, right? Now, a more charitable interpretation could be something like, well, this person is probably concerned about their child's emotional well-being and their social development and the child's comfort. So what you're trying to do there is understand that this person has an underlying value, right? They're not just trying to spread COVID. Nobody's, nobody's deliberately being malicious, right? So what is it that this, this person's underlying value? And in this case, it might be their child's emotional well-being. And this charitable interpretation might be really easy for you to arrive at if you already agree with this person, but it might be really hard for you to arrive at if you think they're wrong. So this is just an example of what I mean about how often things need to be interpreted in more than one way. And whenever you're in doubt, you can just ask the person, you can try to ask them to clarify. Interesting, so why do you not want your child to wear a mask or what's going on there? Social media makes this really hard, right? So we've got another little practice example. This one's a little easier. So imagine that you're scrolling through Instagram and you see your friend posted an article that you disagree with politically. I'm sure this has never happened to any of you, but just imagine. So which of the following is an example of practicing the charity principle? got some kind of multiple choice options for you. You could assume that your friend agrees with every point in the article. You could post about how biased the article is without reading the whole thing. You could ask your friend to clarify why they posted the article. You could say that the article is offensive in order to disprove it, or you could unfollow your friend. So maybe, you know, you could think about it. Which of these is, is an example of practicing the charity principle? This is a classroom I'd say, turn to your neighbor and share. But uh, I, thought, I thought asking your friend to clarify why they posted the article is the most charitable response, right? It's not charitable to just make assumptions about what other people believe. Uh, it's not charitable to just, just talk about something as biased if you haven't even read it. It's also just not very logical. Uh, and it's certainly not charitable to unfollow your friend if they're in fact your friend. So hopefully you guys can kind of get a feel for what I mean when I say intellectual charity. And if you guys want to stick around after the, the church service, we can do some more practice exercises together. Again, though, what I want you to feel is that there are skills here that can be practiced and improved, but a little bit with exercises like the ones I'm showing you now. All right, so let's go back to the scripture. And um, there's many examples of uh, people in scripture practicing this kind of intellectual charity. One of the ones that you may be familiar with is from Acts 17. So Paul is at the Areopagus in Athens, and he's in the city, and this is the NIV translation. So as while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. And then a little further down, it says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. 
So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And then Paul goes on to kind of preach a little mini sermon to the folks there at the Areopagus. So the reason I thought this was interesting is that, first of all, Paul, as a Jew, a deeply Jewish person, would have been extremely offended by all the idols in the city of Athens. The text says that he was greatly distressed, and that's probably an understatement. Paul would have been deeply offended by all the idols that are just out in the marketplaces and the places of worship, right? So how does Paul respond to this? Does he come in and just say, you guys are debauched and you're all horribly mistaken and start tearing down their idols? I guess he could have done that. It could have been a kind of prophetic act. But what he does is he takes a more thoughtful and charitable tack here. He tries to reason with them. The text actually says he engages in debate with them. And what does he do? He tries to pick out what's like the one good thing that I can find here. Well, you guys have this altar to an unknown God. And so I can work with that because I'm going to declare to you who is this unknown God that you worship. I see that you're religious. That's good. I can affirm that. I can affirm that you uh, desire, you have a longing for God, right? The text says that, that, that we may search for him, though he's not far from any of us. So Paul picks out, ah, I see you have a longing for God and you're very religious. And he tries to use that to build a bridge to these people whom he finds probably really offensive in order to try to win them for Christ. So that's a little bit of an example of Paul practicing a little bit of charitable interpretation, right? Because Paul probably wanted to just cancel all of these people, but instead he found one thing that he could affirm and he tried to work with that when he made his appeal to them. Okay, so yeah, he finds the altar. All right, so practicing charity is really hard. I don't know if you've ever tried it. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've been involved in conversations where you could maybe feel some part of your brain, maybe it was the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you should try to cut this person some slack. You should try to give them the benefit of the doubt. And uh, it's difficult though, right? Like, so why is it so hard? I just wanted to draw our attention to some things that kind of conspire against us to make this especially difficult. One is uh, just the information ecosystem that we all live in, right? You know, there are, we get our information from algorithms, uh, whether that's YouTube, Facebook, Google, whatever it may be, Instagram. And these algorithms are designed to capitalize on our fear, our anger, our mistrust, all those really strong emotions. That's what drives the content that they feed us. And it's worse than that because we all get personalized news feeds. So not everyone is seeing the same news at the same time, right? And so our information ecosystem is very fractured, very shattered. It's also designed literally to anger us, provoke fear, provoke the worst in our thinking about other people. So that's just the world that we live in now. Maybe a couple of decades ago, back in the good old days, you know, everyone would watch roughly the same news set of news channels or maybe read roughly the same set of newspapers, or there's at least some sense of we could all agree on some basic truth. And as I'm sure you're all aware, that's just really kind of disintegrating with our current information ecosystem. So I call that the world, right? Then there's the flesh. And part of what makes it difficult to practice charity is that I like being right. It feels good to be right. It makes me feel secure. And especially if I have a lot of my identity invested in my political views, my religious views, my social views, I want to win. And part of that is just, frankly, it's kind of carnal. It's my sin nature. It's my ego. And then finally, um, I call it the devil, which is just some facts about human psychology, which is that we tend to be kind of tribal. And in particular, we tend to find the other side in it, it, we tend to think of them in a negative way very easily, right? So 
you guys are probably all familiar with a lot of worrying about political polarization happening in our country and elsewhere. And it's just the case that we see them, whoever they may be, as it, we just kind of think of them as evil kind of intuitively or automatically. And this is very much a deep feature of, of human psychology. And I think that there's spiritual forces at work here that are playing on us, right? That's why Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the heavenly powers and forces, right? What the enemy wants to do is get us to think that we are each other's problem, right? That, that we really need to wrestle against flesh and blood, whether that's those progressives or those conservatives or those Trump people or those Biden people, whoever it may be, they're the problem, right? But behind the scenes, you can imagine the enemy is kind of pulling the strings um, and, and, and sort of uh, delighting in the fact that we see each other as the problem. And so the enemy likes to capitalize on our, on our tribalism and our negative partisanship. So the world, the flesh and the devil are kind of conspiring against us. Uh, to, to make this really difficult. The other reason it's hard to practice charity is it, it just might, it might cost you something. You might have to forgive somebody who offends you. You might have to admit you're wrong about something. You might even have to change something that feels like a really core part of your identity uh, or a shift in belief uh, that could be kind of difficult to make if you're really listening to someone carefully, right? It can be painful to be empathetic and to listen carefully and to give someone the benefit of the doubt when maybe they're saying things that feel like they're attacking your group or your tribe or your values, right? So it, frankly, this, this can be costly. So that's another reason why it's hard. Uh, I just wanted to tell you all, like, again, this is really hard for me personally. Um, one, one situation in which I find that this is especially difficult is I've been part of uh, several recovery settings, um, you know, recovery from addictions. And frequently in these settings, there's a notion of uh, a spiritual practice, but typically what they say is that you can choose your own higher power. So I've sat in groups of people who really just bash Jesus and they tell stories about growing up in church and how terrible it was and uh, why they'll never believe in Jesus and um, really just kind of negative stuff. And what happens in meetings like this typically is at the end, people just say, thank you for sharing, you know, and then on we go. So there isn't like a chance to sort of, it's not designed for us to really be able to engage in kind of a debate or an argument or for me to even respond to anything they're saying. And I find this really difficult. Uh, to sit in a meeting and hear other people just kind of talk smack about my Lord and Savior, right? And uh, it, it just kind of grinds my gears. But I will tell you, I've uh, met people in those recovery settings who helped me a lot. And they actually had something, they had something that I needed, right? They had a sense of freedom. And, uh, and, and I was able to learn some things from some people who were not Christians. That was pretty difficult for me when I was first kind of getting sober. Um, and so uh, it's just, but, it, but it's still hard, honestly, you know, I really kind of sometimes now I sit and then I listen to other people in, in recovery settings. And I just, I think, man, they're so full of it. Right. But I do still try to pray when I go into a meeting to hear something I need to hear, um, and to be open-minded and to be able to listen. And that's kind of a, a an axiom in recovery in general is, uh, to try not to be so arrogant about what I think I know and to try to be more open to learning something from somebody else. Another place that this can be really hard for me personally, just to be honest with you guys, is listening to and participating in conversations about racial justice. And this can be within the church and outside of the church, especially working in education. There's a lot of these kind of conversations happening right now. I'm sure you're all aware of some of the um, kind of things going on politically with bills about teaching critical race theory and, and just, the, you know, we've all been living in, in this environment for, um, for a while now. And 
I find it difficult to participate in these conversations because when I hear a lot of extremes without nuance, I just really struggle to know how to engage with people. And I, I often don't really know what to think about these conversations. There's some questions where I feel like people's answers to these questions are very extreme. So if, if we're asking like, how much progress racially have we made as a society? Some people seem to talk as though we've made no progress or things are actually getting worse, right? That like, we're kind of on a downhill trajectory when it comes to racial discrimination in our country. And that just doesn't quite seem right to me. But then there are other people who seem to think we're already there, you know, there's no more, you know, progress to be made, we've kind of achieved it. And that also doesn't seem right to me. And so there's a lack of nuance often in this conversation that we, it's very difficult to acknowledge both that we've made some progress and we still have more that we can do. Um, so, so this is difficult for me to, to participate in these conversations. A similar question is like, well, is racism structural or personal? And often I feel like people are very strong on like the structural aspect and they don't really think about it as much in terms of personal prejudice. And other people are very strong on the personal prejudice aspect, but they don't really wanna think about it in terms of structures. And to me, there's just not as much nuance as I wish there was. Like, couldn't it be kind of both? Or could we at least have a conversation about whether it's possibly some of each? Or, you know, what do people even mean by these words like structural racism, right? Um, and then finally, another question that we might ask is whether we should aspire to be colorblind. So I think some people, uh, an extreme view would maybe say that, um, you know, that, that, you know, I don't see color at all. And uh, I find that to be a little bit like that kind of lacks nuance. It's like, well, you, you probably at least notice people's race. And, um, but then there's kind of another extreme view, which is uh, that we shouldn't try to be colorblind, that even the phrase colorblindness is sort of a, a uh, a prop for injustice, uh, that we should uh, really insist on seeing race as very important always and everywhere. And I find that also just kind of extreme. So uh, I'm not trying to weigh in on these questions. I'm just trying to tell you all that it's really hard for me to be involved in conversations where people tend to be extreme in these conversations. And it's a lot worse on social media and kind of on the internet. So I'm not even sure it's possible to have a good conversation about these topics on the internet, like at all. Um, I just want to give you guys some examples of, of how this can be hard for me personally. So, so why practice charity, right? It's difficult for all the reasons we just went through. A couple of reasons, and these may or may not appeal to you. Uh, I, I, they, they sometimes appeal to me. One is truth. Like I might learn something if I listen to someone I disagree with or somebody's coming from a different perspective. Um, chances are I don't have the bucket of all true beliefs. So I could try to at least listen to somebody. And if nothing else, I will better understand an argument that I disagree with. And I'll be in a better position to make my own case once I understand how um, somebody else is arriving at their conclusions. Another is, you know, as Garrett mentioned at the beginning, if we can't have these conversations in church, then where can we have them, right? I think that there's a huge opportunity here for the people of God uh, and for our mission to be winsome and persuasive. It's, it's kind of a war zone out there in our culture, especially on the internet. But I think that means that the harvest is plentiful because a lot of people are pretty fed up with it. And when I, when I have these conversations, you know, my realm is education, but even with friends, everyone's kind of aware of the problem. Everyone's kind of fatigued and kind of burnt out. And everyone kind of knows that there's something wrong with how we're talking to each other or failing to talk to each other. But I think that means that we have a, a great opportunity as the church to be, um, a place of hope where we really can have these conversations in a charitable way and give each other the benefit of the doubt and be a people who can 
have real disagreements and have genuinely constructive conversations about them. And I've experienced that to some degree as part of different Christian fellowships and with people I know in the church. And I think it's possible. I think there is an opportunity here. It's not easy by any stretch, but we have resources as gospel people that the world does not have to be able to repent and admit we're wrong, to forgive each other, uh, and to coalesce around the throne of Christ in a way where we're saying this is actually more important, who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he will do in the future in his coming is more important than the things that we're disagreeing about here. So we can lay them down to some degree. I'm not saying it's going to be easy or, or perfect by any stretch, but we do have resources as gospel people um, to, to, to be on mission together. And I do think that that can be appealing and attractive to a world that is cynical and grumpy and burned out. Anyway, that's kind of my little pitch. So we read 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven in the NIV. And it's this word love, right? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. And in another text, it says, hopes all things, right? So I just thought this is a really nice picture of who we can be as gospel people to each other and to a watching world. And uh, this word love is actually translated as charity in the King James Version. So the, the phrase intellectual charity comes from this, this uh, Latin word caritas. It's a translation of the same word love from 1 Corinthians 13. So, um, We'll get there in just a second, but this is kind of a, just, I think I want to give you guys the kind of scriptural grounding for, for what we're saying here. I also want to make a point about walking away. So I don't want to imply to anyone here that if you find yourself in a conversation where you really disagree with someone, or you think they're saying something that's just totally offensive, that you should just quietly listen and encourage them to keep talking, right? So we all need to, to have some wisdom about what the decisions are that we're making to engage in these conversations. And just something I want to kind of offer for your consideration is that there's kind of a, you can almost imagine like a spectrum of different claims or views, some of which are very high stakes, and maybe we don't need to give a platform to certain kinds of views or arguments, and some of which are very low stakes. So for very high stakes, uh, topics like potentially people denying the Holocaust or other other genocides, or if you've ever heard of the myth of the lost cause, that's basically the view that um, you know that that the the Southern slavery that we experienced in this country was sort of a good thing that should have been defended, right? If I encounter someone arguing that, I don't think I really like. I think I don't really need to give that kind of view the time of day, right? Uh, it, you might think it's not only offensive but really dangerous. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, you know. Topics that are deeply controversial, like whether a hot dog is a sandwich or is water wet, right? Uh, I know the internet exists for arguments like this, but they're not really high stakes. Like nothing really hinges on our answers to these questions. So it's pretty easy to be charitable to someone who disagrees, uh, or at least, you know, I've, I've gotten into some vigorous debates about whether pineapple belongs on pizza, but by and large, it's, it's, it's not too tricky to be charitable. Then there's these topics that are kind of in the middle. And, I, and I've noticed, especially the topics that relate to people's personal identity tend to be really difficult, right? So I witness two people having a conversation where one person thinks they're making a perfectly good faith argument and someone else 
experiences it or perceives it as an attack on someone's identity. And I see this in conversations about things like affirmative action, transgender athletes, and immigration restrictions. So I think this is really tricky. It's kind of a gray area, right? And it requires personal wisdom and discernment to decide, you know, should I engage in this conversation? Is this happening on social media? Is it a public forum? Is it a private one-on-one -on -one conversation? And some other things to consider are like your own personal resources, right? So you can kind of take your own temperature and ask, you know, am I angry right now? Am I ashamed? Am I afraid? Am I riled up? You know, um, and how much time do I have, right? Uh, so with apologies to anybody who's like a flat earth believer out there, like I just literally don't have time to argue with someone who believes the earth is flat. It's not that like for me to be charitable to them and like really try to understand where they're coming from, I'm just not gonna spend the time to do that, right? And so not every view and not every discussion is always gonna be worthy of your time. So you're gonna have to just consider what your resources are. And you might also wanna consider like the person that you're talking to, right? Are they trolling? Are they, are they really trying to have a, a conversation with you or do they just wanna win and just wanna be right? And so you might think of like a two strike rule, which is sort of like, I'm gonna give this person one really good chance to prove that they wanna have a genuine conversation. But if they kind of double down on, you know, their trolling, uh, then I'm maybe I just walk away at that point. Um, might wanna also consider like, what is the likelihood that I'm going to like help or change this person's view? So recently I was with my wife and we were talking to somebody who was uh, denying the Armenian genocide that happened in Turkey. We were in Turkey and we asked him about it and he was just saying there was no genocide. And uh, my wife happens to be like something of a, she, she's written a whole paper about this topic. So we were trying to figure out like, what do we, how do we respond to this, right? And we're kind of like taken aback. And we just decided in that moment, like we're not gonna change this guy's mind. So maybe we should just kind of drop it. Um, but I don't know if that was the right decision, but we, we just decided we, we weren't likely to sort of get anywhere in that conversation. All right. So just to hear 1 Corinthians 13 in the King James Version, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. <laughs> Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. What a beautiful picture, and uh, hopefully the language isn't too clunky for you guys, but I just wanted you to see the kind of the word charity in there. And I really love the idea that love hopes all things, right? So can I hope the best about someone that I'm disagreeing with? Just want to give you all an invitation to reflect and maybe ask the spirit to show you um, wh where do you kind of find this the most difficult? What do you personally struggle with? What are your greatest temptations? Maybe think about how you use social media or just when you're out in the world. Um, I just picked out some things that are kind of like the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. These are some things that I tend to struggle with. Um, so uh, maybe just, uh, so, so humble bragging, right? Um, I, I like to build up my own personal platform. Uh, you know, I like to talk. Another one that's a little bit interesting is slander. So biblically, slander is often construed as a bad report, even if it's true. So when I'm turning to my wife or turning to my friends and I'm saying, oh, did you see so-and-so this like, and, and whatever it is, and I'm going to kind of rip it apart, right? Uh, something that, that I saw on social media or an article I read. And it's not even that I'm wrong. It's just that the purpose of my communication is to diminish that other person and bring them down. And, uh, you know, you might think that that's a biblical kind of slander. So these are all kind of like the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. 
So let's just, um, if you're up for it, maybe just take, I'm just going to time out 30 seconds and just silently ask the spirit to show you if there, maybe just highlight one of these things that maybe is the most difficult for you personally. Um, something that you would like the spirit to kind of prune away a little bit so that um, you can bear more fruit. So let's just take 30 seconds to do that. Okay. Well, thanks for bearing with me, you guys. I know that was a lot and um, probably not your normal Sunday morning. So um, I'll be around uh, after this. If you want to stick around and do some um, exercises or ask me questions, things like that, I'd love to uh, be able to, to chat further with you all. Um, love never fails. So anyway, thanks. Right. I'll pass it back to you.